Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Hello, and welcome to a special postseason bonus episode of Still Watching the White Lotus, the television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Richard Lawson. We're here to share our conversation with the White Lotus's creator, director, writer, all around mastermind Mike White, uh, which is a real thrill. Um, he is such a sharp, funny guy and has made such a sharp, funny, sad, spooky, whatever show. Sexy, <laughs> carnal, um, fantastic, and had a lot of. A lot of insights to share, and he's a big fan of one of my co-hosts. <laughs> well, 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 we don't have to get into that. But anyway, um, so we're going to hear that first, and then afterward, Chris and I will kind of reconvene, have some final thoughts, and then uh, that'll be it for this season. So let's go, let's go to Mike now. Well, we have the distinct pleasure now. We've been waiting all season. We are on the line with the mastermind behind the White Lotus, Mike White. Mike, hello. Hey. Uh, so there's so much to talk about, but I think we have to address the big matter up front. It's our question is, when did you know what Tanya's fate would be? Is that how this season started in your mind, or did you arrive there later on? Well, I, I, I guess I, I was thinking it would be fun to bring her back, and I may have mentioned this in the um the little wrap up that they did after the show. But her last line in the first season was, you know, I've had all these treatments. I've tried every treatment in the world. And like death is the last immersive experience I haven't tried. And I, it was kind of started from there. It was just like, well, maybe it'd be funny if we brought her back that she would die. Not funny, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah, funny. But that, and then um, when we, uh, and then I got to Italy and it was like, you know, Sicily and like kind of like the mythology and the opera and like, you know, the idea of like the kind of tragic heroine and Tanya seems to fit the mold of that. So it just felt like it just, yeah. So it, it started building, I started building the whole season kind of around that idea that maybe she would die. The way that Tanya goes is so devastating. She almost gets out. She gets a big Godfather-esque, you know, set piece where she murders all these gays. And then she sort of, as you said uh, on the wrap-up on HBO, she sort of derps into the water. It's a derpy death. (laughs) Can you talk to us about why you decided to have her go in that specific way? Well, I I, I was just like, I don't want her to actually be murdered. or It just felt too grim. Although I think we could have gone that direction too, but it, it, I just was like, it should be kind of like larger than life. Like just like her, you know, like shooting her way through uh, that boat. And, and, but then I was just, yeah, it felt like, yeah, it just felt like that was so 
on on brand for her <laughs> yeah. I hate that phrase but yeah it was on brand for her like where she's like yeah just the derpiest way to go like you, she's actually makes it past the peril and she just <laughs> takes herself out after some sort of failed little pep talk like i i, I can do this yeah, you've got like, this oh god damn. poor time yeah uh, how did how did that conversation go with Jennifer Coolidge? I mean, I'm, I, did she kind of see the vision of, of why that was uh, where Tanya was headed? Well, I had pitched the whole idea of like that she kind of like you do this kind of like fake out of like uh, Stella gets her groove back with like <laughs> her meeting up with a bunch of gay guys. And I don't know, like that. And then it turns out they're like it's a cabal of like evil gays who are trying to kill her. <laughs> Um, and I, HBO loved the pitch. And so I was like, oh yeah, I, I was and like, I, I thought it was funny and I was so excited. So like when I told Jennifer, I thought she was going to find it really, but she was, you know, like understandably it was, she was like, you're going to kill me. <laughs> like she, yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't. I, and even like last night I, I wanted to watch it with her. So I just went over to her house and the two of us watched it together. And I was like, you know, I was excited about the, the finale because I, I mean, I worked really hard on it, and, like was like happy with how it came out, and like, and then I'm watching it with her, and I'm like, and I realize like it's like she, yeah, like she liked the show, but it was it it is there is something sad about killing Tanya, and also like it, it is the end of like you know, it, obviously it's not gonna be the end of me working with Jennifer. I want to work with her again, but it is kind of maybe the end of the road for Tanya on white lotus and jennifer on white lotus which is sad but it is sad for yeah. me too so I, I was watching with my boyfriend and um he was like well goodbye tanya and i said no she could still be alive her eyes could open you know i was clearly wrong um <laughs> she was she was pitching stuff like that even like when we got <laughs> yeah. her in the tank and the water tank she's like maybe we should just do one where she like wakes up and she like you know pulls herself out of the, uh but oh, wow. we didn't shoot that is there any commentary in this sort of, you know, she she's having her Stella moment with these these cool, rich gay guys. They don't turn out to be bad. Like, to me, it read a bit almost like a commentary on that sort of symbiotic relationship between a certain kind of woman and a certain kind of gay guy. Was that in your mind at all when you were doing the writing? Well, there's definitely, um, you know, we were, you know, it's the, throughout the the um season there's uh, this it, there's a lot of sense of like male um the potential for like m male violence against women mm -hmm. and like um and this idea of like the that you know heterosexual men and women are kind of in you know in a kind of like perpetual state of friction and that there's like this you know like it, you know this eternal p power struggle like um and it and the idea that gay guys are potentially like a solace or like refuge from that that like that <laughs> that that drama and that like and, and so i i just thought especially in sicily where it's you know such a machismo mm. culture and you know like this idea of like you know men and like you know like the godfather um and so I just was like, it'd be it kind of a fresh thing that if like the actual villains are like kind of the, you know, the flamboyant gay guys who are like trying to decorate their houses it's, yeah. and it's like not coming from any of those like more kind of classic, you know, cliched, like, you know, sources of violence against women. The, the gays, I mean, the gays are trying to murder me is a phrase I've said a million times as a gay, <laughs> as a gay person. Did you know when you, when you, uh, conceptualize this with 
Jennifer and knowing that gay people just love Jennifer Coolidge and she sort of became sort of like a gay icon because of the first season of The White Lotus. Did that play into that as well in terms of your, you know, turning that on its head? Yeah, I just thought, I mean, there was some movie that had come out when right before I started writing that Jennifer was in. I forget the name of it. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say, but it was like a Netflix movie and it was like, there was something in the trailer where she's like saying like, oh, all the gays are obsessed with me. And like it was like, and I was like, oh God, like, I was like, yeah, I, I, like if we're going to go into this, like um, kind of, uh, kind of, I don't know, like this, this kind of like, a little bit of a cliche dynamic or something, or just a mm-hmm. dynamic that you would expect with her that, it, yeah, it would have to have a different, um, different uh, ultimate reveal, I guess. Mm. We have a theory that Daphne would be the character on the White Lotus that would do the best on Survivor. Is this oh, true? Oh, for sure. Definitely. A hundred percent. I mean, Daphne is like a classic. I mean, she's, she's like, a she is, she, I, she kind of reminds me of Parvati a little bit mm. where yeah. she's just like, yeah, you know, easy breezy, like, you know, man killer, just nothing gets, you know, she's not, she's just perpetually not bothered. <laughs> Can turn on the sweetness when she wants, makes a good final tribal speech, you know? Yeah. So obviously Tanya was, brought in from the first season, but you had to fill out everything around her with all of these new characters. How did you start building that? I mean, there seems to be some stuff here and there that is, you know, reacting to online discourse or just sort of cultural conversation of the last few years, uh, and some that just feel totally their own entire unique creation. So how did you go about building um, the the world of of this uh, uh, hotel, I guess? Well, I was just trying to, I wanted, yeah, I, I realized it was going to be, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, it kind of, the first season wasn't this, but I feel like, you know, you do a hotel sh- show. It's like, there's a, you just kind of imagine, you know, like a, a Neil Simon, whatever, like, Cal, like, yeah. like that. It's basically like a, yeah, uh, the bedroom farce yeah. aspect of Noises it. Off and so I was, there. yeah. So I was just feeling like, you know, we should, I should, yeah, like really embrace that and do that, do that in a way that maybe feels a little bit more um, uh, dangerous or, you know, that it's, you know, not just a light, you know, farce. And so, so, you know, and I, I love stuff that's about comparative anxiety. So like having two couples felt like a fun um, one, you know, like that kind of just, you know, it's like, I guess as I was thinking about, I was like, what are different kinds of, you know, classic, you know, people on vacations, you know, like, and so the two couples felt that like that made sense. And then I had recently gone on a trip uh, with my dad to Sweden to find his heritage, or I mean, I guess our heritage, because oh. uh, we have family from like the hinterlands of Sweden. And so the idea of like, you know, like, and I know a lot of Italian Americans who are very proud of, you know, especially Sicilians, like, and so I was just like, well, so, and having three generations of men dealing with their, you know, whatever masculine crises, uh, just kind of, yeah, felt like a, a good sort of counterbalance to Tanya and, and her female assistant who were like, you know, hmm. struggling with love and looking for love or whatever. And so, um, so, you know, it's like, and then, you know, the Italian characters kind of like, I, I wanted it to feel like it was like, you know, 
kind of a slow build, but that like by the end, it's kind of like, it's like a very horny, like Bosch. Like it's like by the end, like there's just like the desire is coming in every direction and the, <laughs> you know, the sexual jealousy and like, you know, just building to like a kind of operatic crescendo was my hope. So. And Sicily um, fits so, so well into that. I mean, I, I was there with my family earlier this year. Uh, we also went to the town where my mom's family is from and were disappointed. We were not chased by an artichoke wielding older woman, but. <laughs> But we came close. Um, and like the, the stuff with the head, uh, you know, this lore about the woman who was, who was scorned. I mean, it really all fits so well together. Um, and I know that you said in that, that um, the little kind of post show after the episode for HBO that like this season was about sex. The first season was more about money. Um, obviously, those things are intertwined in both seasons. But like, why did why did sex kind of all to you is like that this is the bigger theme of of season two um did it feel like the kind of natural evolution or or how did that how did that go well i wasn't that wasn't the plan originally i had this idea for like a you know i don't know like some i had a like a, a yeah a totally different concept for uh for the second season but then we were started scouting um properties and we found you know the one in in termina that we ended up using and it was just like this is originally the idea was like a business, like a Bilderberg, like you know all the like, you know what I, I like. I don't know, like more of like not a business conference, but like where all the big muckety mucks come together to mm. like destroy the world. And so I was like, but then we got to Taramina. I was like, that's this is I don't know. This is, you don't come here for that. <laughs> so anyway, it just felt like it was like it just it had so much more. And the, the test of tomorrow's really are everywhere. And like hearing the story about the test of tomorrow's, I was like, well, this is yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's it's such a rich and classic kind of it's so fertile for storyline, obviously, uh, sexual jealousy and people's obsessions with fidelity and and cheating and uh, you know and, and I just yeah I just felt like uh, yeah I, I I it was inspired by being in the place and feeling like that kind of it just called out for that I guess a big spewing volcano <laughs> and you erupting know, visible everywhere that. <laughs> That yeah. certainly worked. Uh, you know, I think, you know, speaking of the sex, like, um, I think we I had read that um, s- filming sex scenes was not something you were particularly eager to do. And yet it was sort of built inherently into this season. Um, did your feelings about how to stage those things like evolve uh, over the course of shooting? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like I, I, I yeah, again, I'm I'm not this isn't necessarily my normal yeah, this is my wheelhouse as a director, and I am. I'm just like I. I get very awkward about like asking people to. I don't know. Like it's 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 <laughs> it's. I I I I thought I got better. I got better after a while. It's like you know what? It's like Survivor, where like the first time you vote somebody off, you cry and you feel bad, and like you're like, was that you know? And then after a while, you're just like, vote them out. Let's, let's put all these people off. So it was like, it, it was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So like over time, it just was like, yeah. There was like, somebody sent me a Twitter where it was like a scene from some movie where the, it was like, a, it was like a little meme where like, it was like this woman was like telling these kids like strip, strip. And it's like, it was like Mike White on, on the White Lotus. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, take your clothes off let's let's yeah. get let's do this but it, it was it, it, the cast was cool it was yeah it wasn't it wasn't that gnarly but it it is always awkward and like you know it's now we have you have these um uh intimacy coordinators mm. which are actually i find really helpful because then i can just it's like 
you know, it it's it's easier to use them as as like a a buffer to you know, and for for then for the actors, you know, sometimes actors don't want to tell the director they don't want to do something. They mm. want to be, you know, team players and, you know, whatever. And so it allows them to have somebody that they, you know, can give the reel to. Yeah. We we actually were just or we just interviewed Megan Fahey and she was talking about your directing style and she was like, you know, you, you give great notes, but you also give the actors like a lot of space to sort of make choices and do what they want to do. You're not super prescriptive. And also there's a lot of ambiguity in terms of like what <laughs> actually happened on the show and you don't necessarily fill in all the backstory um, for the actors. Can you talk about your sort of directing approach and how you work with actors and why you sort of aren't so concerned with like, well, you know, this is what you were doing 10 years ago and 20 years ago in terms of a backstory for these characters? Um, I, I definitely, uh, I hate talking about, <laughs> I hate like talking in abstractions really about mm. um, char- characters and stuff like that. I, I try, I also just basically try to hide from <laughs> the actor. <laughs> really? I'm just like, I'm just, I don't know. I'm always hiding, but like, um, I, 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 so, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I just, you know, it's like after a while you've been doing it for a while, it's like, you know, that it's like, I just, I know I kind of have a sense of what I know I need from a scene. And so then I, it's like, as long as I get that, then I feel like I want the actors to feel like they can, yeah, try stuff and do things. And so, you know, it's like, cause if it doesn't work, I won't use it. But like, but then, it, you know, often it really does work and it allows them to really, um, yeah, have more ownership. You know, when I was younger, I, you know, because I come as a writer to it and I, I never really, even wanted to direct i really was just liked writing but i but um i was more you know i was more particular about like hearing the line in my head and wanting the line to sound like that and you know having more yeah being more prescriptive and i don't know i i started annoying myself so i was just <laughs> like i gotta i just gotta you know and also like you realize it's like yeah you you uh you know having a more open approach creates a funner set mm. you get better work out of people i enjoy myself more so i try to i try not to be too um yeah um yeah too like n- niggly <laughs> in in the writing you know obviously this is a second season and you want to have it be still a familiar show to people who were big fans of the first season there was a death at the beginning etc but you also obviously had to make it different i think one of the big differences that we really loved at the end of this season is that, you know, in the first season, Armand, the poor put upon working class guy dies and the rich guy gets away with it. And in this, me and Lucia, who could, and Valentina too, yeah. are sort of, you know, that they're equi- uh, Armand's equivalent. And yet they, they win. sort they're of end on a happy note. Walk into or the sunset. <laughs> I, I assume you see that as a happy note. And was that a conscious thing to differentiate it from the first season? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it, in a way it's more, I would put it into, since it's not really as much about class and it's more mm-hmm. about, um, gen, you know, what, sex or like, like women and men or whatever. Uh, like it's, yeah, I do think, you know, it was fun to have a different kind of ending. And I certainly, you know, a lot of people were bummed by the, by, by like particularly like, yeah, some of the, the, the people, staff's uh, fates in the first season. 
but I also was like, you know, like I, to me, it's like, I mean, my take was a little bit more like Tanya's a tragic character because she really doesn't know what she's, she wants. She's mm. lost. She's, you know, like she's just searching and she never can land. And she thinks love is going to save her. Guy's going to save her. And like, in a little bit like Portia's has this issue. And like, what I felt about me and Lucia is like, they're, wi- they're women who know what they want. They know what they want. This is they state what they want. They go out to get what they want, and they get what they want. And they're like, yeah. And they also are, um, and they have this like, you know, their friendship is is I don't know, like that they are they are they're real helpmates to each other to mm. achieve their goals. You know, you can't compare it to like Tani and Portia, who are like, there's it's all so fraught. They're all you know they blamey and like mm-hmm. frustrated, and so yeah. So I, I mean, I definitely. Yeah, it is different than the first season as far as like, yeah, yeah, the I guess the poor characters aren't um, crushed, but it was a little bit more designed around the ideas of, of, yeah, like women and I don't know, like, uh, and some of that as, as opposed to trying to do something different than first the first season as far as class. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. I, I have to ask, because this really did crack me up. The biggest reveal of potentially the series happened in the final episode when Cameron casually mentions, yeah, we were roommates at Yale. <laughs> and that got a lot of play, you know, online and people really sort of... Yale Twitter was about Yale Twitter was blowing <laughs> yeah. up. Oh, no. <laughs> was there a specific reason why you, you know, you saved that for then and you chose that specific college? Because it did... It does really make a lot of sense, honestly. I, you know, it's funny because actually there wasn't even scripted, I don't think. Uh, Theo wanted to add something about that, about like being put in, like the, the line itself. But he, uh, uh, so, and then he was like, well, where did they go to school? And I was like, I don't know. And then I was just looking and I was like, probably Yale, right? <laughs> and then, yeah. And so, so yeah, that, that was, uh, yeah. I'm not trying to say anything about Yale. I love <laughs> Yale. Oh my god! Yeah, you you can. It's a safe space if you wanted to say anything. I think they'll be okay. Well, I went to Wesleyan, you know, so we're we were like the like redheaded stepchild to Yale, you know. <laughs> we were the you know it was, it was the school where all the kids who didn't get into Yale went to. Try to <laughs> well, Wesleyan, I guess you're doing great now. Also, another recurring <laughs> theme too is we, which we have to mention because we work there. A couple of Vanity Fair mentions throughout the show too. Oh yeah, we did. We gave Vanity Fair shout outs. <laughs> Should we? Is that like a good thing or a bad? Should we be offended or is that like? A good... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just such a go-to magazine for like people on vacation or this kind of people. I don't know if that's an insult, but no, I mean, no, you know, no, there's be- there's great writing and you know, <laughs> I think beautiful long form to- stuff. But it's, <laughs> I mean, you know, White Lotus is kind of. I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, now I'm insulting both of us but uh but like i feel like um white lotus is you know 
it is basically the kind of thing it, I don't know. There's a crossover for White Lotus and Vanity Fair readers. Oh, Do you yeah. Know what I mean, yeah. it's like, uh, you know, like people who like to, you know, I don't know, it, like you want to you want the juice on rich people, but like in a kind of high minded, gussied up as high minded, you know, long form. I mean, we're literally profiting off of it by yeah, having this uh, podcast. So uh, we, yeah. we do see the we see and, the overlap. and the listener responses. I think in, you know uh, uh, confirmed that that overlap certainly. So we appreciate it. We really do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Well, um, I'm here to help you with your content. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, the audience was surprised by a lot of things that happened in this final episode. Um, it's maybe a corny writer question, but like, was there anything that surprised you as you were writing? You were like, "Oh, I kind of didn't see this plotline going this way." Uh, until I got there, uh, you know, literally in the final draft document. Well, the thing, the one that was the most tricky to write was these couples storyline. Um, and, and I wanted to, it wasn't clear that I was going to shift focus. You know, I wanted to do something about how like men cheating is kind of how that is processed. And then how the idea of women cheating and how that is processed (laughs) and that like, the stakes get like more tweaked or crazier because of, of, and so like trying to like figure out exactly how to pass the baton between Harper's point of view and then ending up being Ethan's point of view and, and how to like actually uh, the logistics of that uh, was the one where I was just like, I hope this lands. And even like when we cut the final, you know, it was like, uh, you know, sometimes it's not until you actually cut the last episode where you're like, Oh, this kind of, I don't know, like where you, where you, where the full, you know, the just, you know, it's like, do we need to, to reshoot this? Like, we're, like I, I was happy with how it landed, but yeah, it was, that one was like the one where I'm just like, cause I, I wanted, I, yeah, uh, just trying to keep everybody's perspective and, and keep, uh, keep it clear, you know, like not getting it too messy. It's, it's obviously intentionally ambiguous to the audience in terms of what did or didn't happen with, Harper and Cameron and Daphne and Ethan and whatnot. Do you know what happened or what didn't happen, or do you are you not really concerned with, you know, what's not shown to the audience? Well, my my philosophy was like you know Daphne says at the end of the season where it's uh, in the scene with Ethan, she's like, you know, little mystery is kind of you know like it's okay to not you know it's like you can you can survive not knowing everything about you know your partner's fidelity or you know like that there it's it's okay to have it be you know you can you can live with the mystery i guess mm-hmm. and so i felt like that was kind of the approach to yeah what happens with um harper and cameron in the room and also what happens with ethan and daphne on the island and like you know you kind of have a sense of it but like you know like that like we as the audience are also in that that state of not fully knowing and i think it makes it more in a way more sexy Mm. you know because it's like you can kind of fill it in and also uh more um yeah ambiguous in a way that's uh you know it gets to the like you know the anxiety that the the characters are also experiencing in that state of not knowing because there are always going to be things they don't know you know and uh yeah it maybe they've entered into a more sort of i don't know egalitarian open relationship mm-hmm. i mean i don't know of but the, 
upper crust yeah. society. Yeah, I, I, I'm also curious about your decision to right before we see Mia and Lucia um, skipping off into their happy futures. We hope um, it, the the show then right before that ends with Albie and Portia having this kind of reset moment of like let's kind of almost reintroduce ourselves to each other. We'll exchange phone numbers. What was how did you view their sort of arc back toward one another? Was it that they just went on these adventures and then decided, oh, actually, I kind of want to be a little more boring than that? Or am I, is that is a, it sad? Yeah. Is it <laughs> sad? Is it happy? Uh, no, I know. I mean, it's, I, well, with the Porsche storyline, <laughs> she wants this, yeah, adventure and mystery and like she wants to get lost. And then like she, you know, clearly has that moment where she actually has having an adventure and realizes it's not what she wants. She wants to, you know, she's like, get, get the fuck out of here. So like, um, you know, to me, it was just like, it's a very cynical show. (laughs) This, I mean, there's a lot of cynical like moves here. And so I just kind of, it, it, to me, wasn't supposed to be read as sad. It was more like, you know, the having a little bit of hope for a kind of, yeah, even in a, whether they're conventional, characters and the conventional kind of romance but that it was cute you know what i mean that there's Mm -hmm. some kind of yeah like i don't know like they're they are the they are the kind of young lovers and and originally you know the setting this up is like oh it's a you know it's a summer romance this storyline and then like undermining that but then maybe kind of healing it a little bit at the end and they are in some ways like albie is maybe breaking his father's cycle and Portia Tanya. is like, I'm not going to become Tanya. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, so there is, I think, a finality to that. But but this is not the end of the White Lotus. I mean, mm. you said in the in the post thing on HBO that like you've there are some thoughts already in place about what season three could be. We hear Daphne say next year in the Maldives. In the Maldives. I don't know <laughs> if that's supposed to be a clue to anything. But um, is there anything you can share with us about the even if it's very in its nascent stages development of, of another idea? Um, you know, I, what I realized last time was like, I, I didn't want to get too ahead of it because you go to a place and you realize, yeah, there's a whole, uh, you know, um, that I, I kind of really need to go. I don't know what country we're shooting in. I don't know. I don't know anything. So it's like, <laughs> so I, I do feel like it needs a, a strong theme because I feel like that gives the it more of a reason, you know, than just being like a situational um and i have a lot to say i have a lot to say (laughs) you know about lots of things Mm. so like uh so Mm -hmm. uh and so yeah i mean my you know the obviously we are going to um uh scout i don't know why i say obviously we are going to scout in asia Mm. um and uh looking at countries there and so my impulse instinct is that that maybe it has something to do with you know spirituality some you know eastern mm. versus western religion or western people and an eastern you know culture with like you know that, that maybe after sex it would be nice to have something that's a little uh more celestial or something that's a little more out of the carnal i mm. guess but um but i don't know uh i you know, i kind of just i have to beg off to be honest because i don't really know <laughs> Fair enough yeah. yeah i mean that's interesting it goes back to enlighten i mean there's a through line there in terms of your you know your previous work and in, in enlighten so yeah it turns out people show up a lot more for sex than they do for <laughs> spiritual <laughs> sex in a dead body is that... <laughs> that oh that's crazy is turns the... out the hooks do really bring out the people 
<laughs> is the idea to, to shoot in Asia at all in sorry I've been binging so much Survivor the past month and a half so I just it's on my mind is that based okay. at all in your experience in, in Fiji or, or is that is the connection not, not there uh well i mean i don't really do I, it's fiji asia I, I, it's, I guess it's oceana it's, i guess yeah pacific, yeah. pacific. Yeah. but i yeah. no i i just you know it's just i just it's like i just kind of feel like i mean maybe there is a survivor connection and the like you know the early survivors it was like you know so much of it was like you know survivors in, in africa the australian outback like the location was such a big part mm. of the um um the vibe of the show and the concepts around the show. And, and I, and I, you know, I love traveling. So that's selfishly, but I also felt like, you know, Sicily being there, it just inspired me to come up with something, you know, yeah, that maybe I wouldn't have come up with if we were staying in, you know, America or keeping it close to home. So like, I just like the idea of that maybe, you know, going somewhere really different um, will come up with, you know, something that feels fresh and, and, and also show, you know, I like, you know, showing off another part of the world. And it's like, if we kept doing that, you know, I don't know, there's something very, I, 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 I feel like there's a positive aspect to, um, cultures, you know, like us as a crew going to a place that's different. I don't know. There's, it's that, that part of it excites me. So, um, now yeah. that um now that Tanya is sadly no longer with us, do you think you'll have another you know one character from either one of the seasons travel you know as a through line or are you there's that yeah done? I was definitely I mean I I I I I like that idea I don't know exactly who I have there's I have thought some yeah I've had some conversations about that but um uh yeah it would be fun to have some through line um, to maybe one of the guests, other guests, maybe from the first season. Um, but, you know, you have to figure out who's available. What, like, what, you know, so I, there's stuff I don't really know, but like, yeah, it would be fun also. Like, I mean, I don't like, I don't know how long I can keep doing this show, but like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do think like, again, to speak to survivor, it'd be fun to have an all stars season that, where you have, I just, I just fainted. That, yeah. Literally. Yeah. I just <laughs> jumped out of my seat. That would be, un- I, I, that would be unreal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It could be funny to, uh, yeah, have different worlds collide. As long that as Jack's somewhere in the background swimming in the pool, I'm <laughs> I'm happy. That, that's... Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. I'll get my Love Island hunk in there, yeah. Um, well, in the meantime, uh, we can savor this excellent season that we just watched. It was, yeah. so, it was so amazing. And thanks thanks for yeah. stopping by. This is, oh, this is amazing. And go bask in the success. Okay. And then, yeah. yeah, we'll see you in a couple, maybe a yeah. couple years for season uh, three. See you in Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye. All right, Chris, before we go, we should do it just a kind of final summative, like, what do we think? Um, for me, this season was always entertaining, always engaging. Um, but I worried at times, I was like, you know, it's, it's, 
it feels a little thinner. Maybe it was just because like sex and romance and all that felt a little bit more played out, you know, or it's well, been done before. It's been done before with the class stuff in the first season. But, you know, by the end and actually even just talking to Mike now, like I, I see the sort of depth that was really operating on. And, and I think sometimes you just have to wait till the end. Do you, he, do you he, agree? I totally agree. I think at the beginning, I remember we talked about, OK, Tanya, like what is she really doing yeah. here again? It's felt a little slow, a little thin, but as we just talked to Mike White, that was sort of all by design. He knew yeah. Tanya was going, you know, uh, was going kaput by the end of the season. And so building, and he said even, you know, building up to the eruption, the explosion mm-hmm. of the final episode, tracing it back, it's one of those shows that like re-watching it is even, I felt was even better than watching it the first time, like yeah. going back each episode, knowing what was coming next, because it is a grand sort of arc. It's sort of like a, you know, a seven hour movie, yeah. if you will. Or a big mural that you would find in Italy. Yes. You know, or, or a, fresco. Like a, a fresco. That's what I mean, not <laughs> yeah. a mural. Um, I agree. And I think that, you know, in the sort of business minded, cynical way, if you want to put it that way, I'm now really ready for a season three. I, I didn't really think there should be a season two. I remember but, you said but that. Like, but he has sold me on the, on, the, on the, the idea that this could be a sort of iterative. Show that each season will tackle with with some you know familiar stuff intact, but will tackle a different theme. Mike White has maybe said death yeah. at least in the post show interview. Spirituality, yeah, like something like that. So that's intriguing, and you know he expressed some worry that like oh maybe the sex was the most like grabby thing, and I I don't know if they're going to be as interested. But I disagree. I think I'm more interested even than I was before. Yeah, I mean, as we said, even though the second season was about sex and the first season was about money. There's so much inter right it, connection yeah. between all of these themes. Everything is connected. So if he's you know if he does go to East Asia and does a uh, season on spirituality or religion, I think there'll still be some sex. I think there'll yeah. still be some money. I think there'll still be some class. That's inescapable when you're dealing with sort of this enclave of the one percent uh-huh. um, and these uber rich people that other things don't ex- you know explode if yeah. you will. So I'm not, not that I was ever worried about Mike White, but even the few reservations that I did have going into season two, he completely uh, uh, exceeded my expectations. And you know what else exceeded our expectations is we have really appreciated getting getting so much feedback from the listeners Mm -hmm. uh, who've been emailing us. That's been such a help in terms of how we guide conversations. and also, the theories, the theories were so smart. There's a lot of stuff that we didn't know or notice. Much or better theorizers than us. Much out there. better, much yeah. smarter. All the emails are so fantastic. Yeah. I do love hearing that people love the pod. That's something I never yeah. get sick of. Yeah. And thank you for that. And you know, you can always email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail dot com if you have. You know, maybe there's a show that we should cover that we haven't thought to cover uh, for, for a season next year. Um, we are going to take a bit of a break for the holiday, um, but we will be back next year. We're not sure what we're doing yet, but um, we're going to figure that out in the coming weeks. So if you have any suggestions, please do email us. Um, in the meantime, you can also find me at Twitter. I'm at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S, Chris. And I'm at Christress, C-H-R-I-S-T-R-E-S-S. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our editor and producer is Dave Gonzalez, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes and Katie Rich. Our engineer is Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. Uh, so we'll be back next year. Until then, thanks again for listening. Chris, thanks for taking the trip to Sicily with me. Now let's actually go to Sicily. No, we really have to. We'll get an Aperol Spritz there. I'll buy you an Aperol Spritz in Sicily. Okay, yeah. Chris is drunk off the case that, he, <laughs> that we gave him yesterday. So. All right. Well, until then, we'll see you soon.